All right, grab your Bibles. Um, this week, um, in light of the Ukraine-Russia war, I thought it would be beneficial to do a prophecy update. Um, I wanted to do this last week, but I didn't really have enough lead time to come prepared. Um, and then this week, I just, you know, when I'm praying about it, I just couldn't get off of it. So I, I'm like, well, let's just lean into this thing and go for it. So I want to do a, a, a prophecy update in light of what's happening in Europe. Um, some Bible prophecy, um, certain parts of Bible prophecy are sealed for certain times. And um, it's important as we move along through time to get the clearest picture of how things are unfolding and will unfold that we go back to our Bibles periodically and look at those prophetic scriptures in light of the way things are unfolding in the world. It's kind of like, you know how when someone sends you an email, they're like, I just sent it. And you're like, I don't see it yet. And then you hit refresh. And then you're like, okay, it's coming. Hit it refresh again. And then you get it, right? Okay, so what are we doing today? We're going to hit refresh. And we're going to look at some scriptures um, in light of uh, some of the things that are unfolding in our world. Um, Jesus said this in Luke 21, 34 through 36. He said this, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with uh, carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, that's Jesus. Son of Man is Jesus. Um, So how can we navigate uncertain times like this? We need to watch. We need to pray. We need to be on guard. Okay, that's how we need to live our lives. Um, I would call it situational awareness. You guys have ever heard of situational awareness? Go ahead, and, go ahead and put up that picture. This is situational awareness right here, okay? I don't know if you can see this, but in the background, there's a kitty cat in the picture, and uh, I bet this guy <laughs> looked at that later on and was like, oh my goodness, you know? Okay, situational awareness. Go to the next one. Similar in nature. I don't know if this one's real, but yeah, uh, similar in nature, like you got to be aware of what's going on around you. That's situational awareness, okay? So this is important. I started this message with the why. Why do we need to talk about Bible prophecy and what's going on in the world? So that we could be ready, so that we could have situational awareness. Why should we watch this? So that we can be prepared for the return of Jesus and for the rapture of the church. And we'll probably be talking more about the rapture here in the next coming weeks um, and the return of Jesus Um, But many have been asking this question. Does this event in Europe have any prophetic, biblical prophetic significance? I believe the answer to that question is yes. Um, And I intend on, uh, through this message, to show you why I believe it's significant and why I believe you should care. Now, before we get uh, into the message um, and, and, and talk about uh, what any prophetic significance that this event may or may not have, uh, we obviously need to keep in mind that people are dying and that war is a terrible thing. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' quote is saying this, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How many want to be called children of God? I do. Listen, we need to be peacemakers. God's children promote peace, Okay. Um, there's a story in the book of, of Luke chapter 9 
where some Samaritan town had made some of the disciples angry, and they go to Jesus, and they're like, should we call fire down on this city? And Jesus is like, um, no, uh, you, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're not operating in the spirit that I'm operating. I say this to say we need to be careful in our zeal for prophetic revelation to not overlook the humanity of every situation. So sometimes a war happening halfway around the world, we, we overlook the humanity of it. And I also want to say that, and you know who you are when I say this, and I'm not going to elaborate on this. We also need to be aware of weakly founded conspiracy theories, okay? Weakly founded, and I'm not saying unfounded, I'm saying weakly founded conspiracy theories, because there's shreds of truth in some of these things. Um, but I just want to say this, if, if the narrative, and I've, believe me, I've spent a lot of time on this, if the narrative you believe about the war happening in Ukraine matches the narrative that's being told to the Russian public, think about that, okay? Just think about that. If what's being told to the Russian public what Putin is saying is the narrative that you're taking on. You might, you might just think about that a little bit, okay? So, can I get a witness? All right, I love you all. It's okay to be wrong, but now, you, now, you're, now you're accountable. Okay. <laughs> I've been wrong before, and I'm sure I'll be wrong again. Okay, what is, what is Putin's motive in this war? I want to give you four whys. Um, if you've been watching these, many of you have picked up on this. Um, reason number one why he's moving into um, the Ukraine is NATO, uh, North American Treaty Organ Alliance Organization, whatever. Uh, Putin doesn't want NATO on his doorstep, so he wants to prevent U the Ukraine from joining NATO. Since 1997, um, almost every country to join NATO um, has been a, a former Soviet territory. So this, to him, looks like an infringement on their, on their, um, their security and their, uh, their sovereignty. I'm going to put up that, that picture. So in the yellow there, these are all countries that joined NATO since 1997. Almost, maybe all of them, I don't know. Almost all of them are former Soviet territories. So this, in the Russians' eyes, looks like an infringement on their sovereignty and on their security. That's reason number one. Reason number two, um, Ukraine has been referred to as a breadbasket. Um, it's been referred to as a, a breadbasket of Europe and a breadbasket of Russia. Well, which one is it? Well, it depends on who has control of it. It's an important uh, territory as far as food supply is concerned. Um, reason number three is oil and natural gas. Uh, you, Ukraine has a lot of uh, oil and natural gas resources. Um, in fact, during World War II, it was Hitler who invaded Eastern Europe. What is he doing? He was going after those uh, oil fields in Eastern Europe. However, more than what they produce and what their um, reserves are as a country, Ukraine is actually an important transit country for the oil and natural gas um, that comes from Russia to the uh, European markets. Um, go ahead and put up, that. there's a picture I kind of have of this. Um, these are the, the, uh, the gas, oil and gas um, lines that are coming through Ukraine. Look, they all come from Russia and they go to the European markets. Um, basically, Ukraine has the ability to cut off significant amounts of uh, Russian uh, oil, natural gas, and to take a piece of the pie. 
okay? And, and Russia does not like this. Uh, the, the countries that have the most oil reserves in the world is uh, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia. The country that has the most natural gas reserves of any in the world is Russia. By far, they have the most natural gas reserves, and they need to sell that. They need to sell that in order to be powerful. This is a huge motivation also for Putin. Okay, um, Okay. and reason number four, I believe that Putin has ambitions to restore Russia to its former Soviet glory. In 2005, Putin is quoted as saying this. He said, It is worth acknowledging that the demise of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century. Okay, think about that, of the century, the 20th century, hello. As for the Russian people, it became a genuine tragedy. Tens of millions of our fellow citizens and countrymen found themselves beyond the fringes of Russian territory. Okay, I would acknowledge that, yes, for Russians, that certainly was a catastrophe. The 90s was a terrible decade um, for Russians. However, um, Putin ranks the fall of the Soviet Union of a worse catastrophe than World War II. Okay, think about this. In World War II, uh, the Soviet Union lost more lives than any other country, by a lot, actually. They lost more lives. They lost 24 million people died in World War II in the Soviet Union. Over half of those deaths were civilian deaths. Over half of them. Comparatively, the U.S., we lost 418,500, which is a lot. And only about, but only about 2,000 of those are uh, civilian casualties. Most of those are combat, um, combat deaths. But it, it doesn't even compare. We didn't even lose a million. They lost 24 million. Okay, but I say this to say, in his eyes, if the collapse of the USSR was a worse tragedy than World War II, this has got to be a big deal to the way this man thinks. Because 24 million, in my mind, is by far the biggest tragedy. And World War II, in my mind, was the biggest tragedy of the century. So, where are we at? What's the current situation in, in Ukraine? Um, despite what many Russians thought, Ukraine has not welcomed them as liberators. Um, the Ukrainians have fought valiantly and have had some success. Um, the weapons that the West has provided, particularly the U.S., um, have, have made a difference. The downside is this. Um, Russia has not yet sent in their big guns, and for the most part, they fly over the country um, with air, uh, air superiority. They fly over the country with air superiority, with little resistance. Um, there's, um, President Zelensky is requesting that NATO set up a no-fly zone, and they have not done that. Um, my fear is this. The more the Ukrainians succeed, the more ruthless the Russians will become, which is actually what we're seeing every day. Make no mistake about this. Obviously, Russia being a, um, a nuclear power, they could destroy Ukraine immediately. Or they could bombard from the air, send in the whole air force, and completely destroy the country immediately. Now, the question is, if they want to take control of that territory, why destroy something before you take it over? So the question is, how far are they willing to push this? We don't know how this will end. Our prayer, of course, is that they will withdraw and there will be peace. Um, our prayer, of course, is that there would be some type of peace agreement and that we could, we could go back to peace because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, okay? We don't want war. Question, 
what does this all have to do with biblical prophecy? Uh, Many people have been asking this question. Is this war in the Ukraine with Russia, is this a precursor to the war that the Bible describes in Ezekiel chapter 38? Um, My prediction is this, that if Russia is successful, they will be emboldened and they will continue to pursue their glory days as an empire. Um, If they pull back, I I think the world may have some more time and peace and prosperity can exist. If they succeed, I believe they will be emboldened, and then probably the Chinese will be emboldened as well to make a move on Taiwan. But if they prevail, I think they will, things will continue to escalate. All right, let's look at the book of Ezekiel. I've been actually wanting to touch on the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, for a long time, and I think Christians really need to understand what is the significance of, of this. Ezekiel 38... <coughs> describes a future war that is yet to happen, okay? Has not yet happened. Well, what you need to know is that Israel is at the center of biblical prophecy. So, so it's written from the viewpoint, the, the scriptures, Israel is at the center of biblical prophecy. Whenever you want to know what's happening in the world or where we're at, Israel is at the center of it. Um, we'll start and I'll kind of build this through, through Ezekiel 36, 37, 38. Um, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, much of the land of Israel uh, laid waste for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, Mark Twain visited the land uh, Palestine, the land the Palestinian land, in 1867, and he said this: "It is a desolation. It is a wasteland. I would never want to live here." That's what Mark Twain said, the American author, in 1867. If you read, uh, in chapter 36, you can read how God declared to the land to get ready for the Jewish people. The people are coming home. Land, get ready. How does land get ready? Okay. Ezekiel 36, verse 8, it says this. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. Okay. And then in the early 1900s, many Jews began moving back to, to their homeland. And about that time, they made up about a third of the population, and they began to cultivate the land, till the soil, replant vineyards, and the, the land began to produce fruit. And it was honestly a supernatural thing that was happening, that the land was getting ready for the return of the Jewish people. That's, verse, uh, that's chapter 36. In chapter 37, you can read about the valley of dry bones, which is a prophetic picture of the graveyard of Europe in World War II. It says this, Ezekiel 37, 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. This was the um, mindset of many Jews who had lived through the Holocaust. There's a couple pictures um, Obviously, you could find the worst pictures possibly known to man that we could put up here and share. But the Holocaust is a, a terrible time of hopelessness. I mean, the picture, that's a picture of hopelessness. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. God has forgotten us. Surely God has forsaken us. That must have been the mindset of the Jews who lived through World War II. By the way, I want to say parents... 
make sure your kids understand what happened in World War II. Make sure they understand the atrocities, atrocities of the Holocaust. There's a younger generation who is like, they don't even understand what has happened less than 100 years ago in Europe. It says this, Ezekiel 37. Okay, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say to me, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Okay, 1948 is when Israel... Jews were moving back after World War II. 1948 is when they declared their independence, May 14th, 1948. Isaiah 66 says, can a nation be born in a day? The answer to that question is yes, because Israel was literally born in a day, and it was a celebratory time for that nation. Here's where we're at. The physical restoration of Israel has taken place. God has regathered the Jewish people to their homeland. The physical restoration has taken place. There is yet a spiritual restoration that is going to take place in that nation. Romans eleven twenty five and 26 says this, Paul says, for I desire, brethren, that you should not be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So in part, there has been a blindness to Israel. Most Jews do not believe in Yeshua as their Messiah. But those blindness, number one, they're beginning to come off, and there is a time when the fullness of the Gentiles is coming, when those blinders will completely come off, and they will see Jesus as their Messiah. You can read in Ezekiel, there's this picture of the, the dry bones. They begin to rattle, and they come together. And then he prophesies once again, and... and um, muscle and sinew and flesh come on those bones but then they're still dead they're still not moving that is a picture of exactly where we're at with the nation of israel the 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 bones have been gathered there's flesh on on the on the on the bones there's there's meat on the bones but the the breath of god has not yet been breathed into them spiritual revival has not yet happened in the land of israel and i'm telling you there is coming a day when god will remove the blinders and they will see jesus they will mourn for the one whom they pierced. It's coming. Amen? That's Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones. And then we come to Ezekiel 38. We're somewhere in between right now. We're somewhere in between Ezekiel 37 and Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, we get to Ezekiel 38. It's future. This has not yet happened, but it is in the Bible, and it is going to happen. Okay? Ezekiel 38 says this. Now the word, okay, so I'm going to um, help you with some of these locations that the Bible talks about. So you read these words like Gog and Magog. I want to help you understand these geographical locations. They're extremely significant to us. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Okay, Rosh is Russia. Meshech and Tubal, Tubal is Turkey, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Gog, O prince of Rosh, and Meshech and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with your whole army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed 
a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Okay, real quick, um, obviously Ezekiel would not have an understanding of what like a tank and an airplane was. So God shows him this imagery as horses and chariots and what have you, okay? But what you have here is a Russia-led invasion into the land of Israel. Who is the prince of Rosh? Well, we don't know. We actually don't know when this war is going to take place. Um, but what I'm going to show you is that it is aligning in such a way that it's, it looks like it could happen very soon. We don't know who the prince of Rosh is. However, we do know that if it happened today, if this war unfolded today, that prince would be Vladimir Putin. That is, that is clear. But we don't know when this war will happen, so we don't know who this person is. Ezekiel 38 it goes on, uh, verses 5 and 6, it talks more about this coalition of nations coming against the land of Israel. Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them with all their shields and helmets, okay? Persia is Iran, Cush is Sudan, and Put is Libya, okay? Also, Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Tamara from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you, okay? So we have this picture. Go ahead and, go and put up that slide. We have this picture of the nations that the Bible describes will invade the land of Israel. It's painted very clearly here. There's not, there's not a lot of debate. There's some debate about maybe some of these geographic locations, but mo for the most part, this is pretty well understood. Um, go, to the next, go to the next slide. I just thought this was interesting, too, for a reference point. <laughs> Can you see, do you guys see where Israel is? Just below Turkey, there's Israel. It's the size of New Jersey. This tiny little piece of land, and these nations, along with Libya and Sudan, are going to invade this tiny little territory of Israel. Pretty amazing. Verse 38, or verse 7, it says this. Get prepared, uh, get ready, be prepared. You and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them. After many days, um, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war. How many know that Israel is a land that has recovered from many wars? Whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. This is the exact language that Mark Twain used. The, the land had long been desolate. They have been brought out of the nations, and now all of them live in safety. This is an important piece. They live in safety. If you... Um, just listening to people who grew up in Israel in the 60s and 70s, they did not live in safety. There were, there were people who were born in you know, the 50s, and they lived through like three wars in their lifetime. Um, insane. Today, Israel, for the most part, lives in safety. Verse 9, you and all your troops and the many nations will go up, uh, go up advancing like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On that day... Uh, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. For the most part, Israel is living in safety in unwalled cities in peace and security. Um, I foresee that peace and that sense of security continuing to increase and prosperity continuing to increase for Israel. Israel has signed, and I'll, I'll talk about peace agreements here in a minute. Israel, back in, I think, the 70s and 80s, signed peace agreements with Jordan, who's to the east, with Egypt, who's to the south. 
But I will say this. It is more dangerous to take a stroll in certain parts of America, in certain American cities, than it is to go to Israel and to walk around. Okay? It is more safe and secure there than in many places in the United States. Okay? Now, we're going to get to verse 13. Here you have the protesters of this Ezekiel 38 war. This is, this is important prophetic development. Here are the protesters, the ones who say, what are you doing? Okay, verse 38. Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions, will say to you, have you come to take plunder? So now we see the motivation. The motivation for this invasion will be plunder. What is that plunder? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But here is what, this is also very clear and not very highly debated. Sheba is the Persian Gulf Arab nations. And Dedan is Saudi Arabia. This is, that's not very contested. The next part is slightly contested, but the, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions, um, a lion is a picture of the, uh, the British Empire. So, so England and her, her colonies would be United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, this, this, I believe, is the, um, the young lions, the colonies of England. Have you come to take a plunder? Have you gathered your armies to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away livestock goods, to take a plunder? Uh, go ahead and put up that, that next picture. Okay, this is the Persian Gulf Arab nations. And this is an interesting development as of 2020. In 2020, the, the UAE and Bahrain signed peace treaties with Israel. Okay, that's a huge development. These are countries that have, for decades have been enemies of Israel. They signed peace treaties with Israel, brokered by the Trump administration. They signed peace treaties with Israel. Didan is Saudi Arabia. Now, Israel has not officially signed a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia, but here's the deal. They have no diplomatic, official diplomatic relations. However, news reports have surfaced indicating extended behind-the-scenes diplomatic and intelligence cooperation between the countries in pursuit of mutual goals against the regional enemy of Iran and Turkey. Okay? The treaties that many Arab nations are making with Israel are some of the most notable recent prophetic developments. Verse 13 that I just read, have you come to take a plunder, these protesting nations? Verse 13 was impossible five years ago. Impossible five years ago. These nations would have never been protesters to an invasion to Israel five years ago. And these nations are not only, not only cooperating with Israel, they're signing peace treaties with Israel, they're trading with Israel, the UAE is, is investing billions of dollars into the Israeli economy. Who ever thought you would see the day? If I was a betting man, I would have never said this is possible. This is a massive, uh, massive development. Why are the Arab nations doing this? Okay, here's why. There is a rivalry between the Arab Muslims and the Persian Muslims. Iran is not Arab Muslims, they're Persians, okay? Uh, or more accurately, you, you might be able to say it like this more accurately, there's a rivalry between Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims. And the Arab Sunni Muslims, they may not be entirely in love with Israel, but Israel is strong militarily. Therefore, they have, and they have a common enemy. And they need one another to face and to, be, um, to stand up against Iran. That's reason number one. Reason number two 
is Israeli technology. Israel is helping these nations with their, their cyber technology, their, milita- their military technology, their agriculture technology, those kind of things. Um, and they're, they're literally pouring billions of dollars in training with each other for the first time ever. This is amazing, huge development. Whoever thought that that would be the case, but what you see here in Ezekiel 38 is the picture that's being painted right now. It's amazing. Important comparison I want to make with this war in Ukraine and this war that it talks about in Ezekiel 38 is this. There's protesting nations in both wars. There's protesting nations, however, these nations are really doing little to intervene. These protest nations are like, hey, we don't agree with you, but they're projecting weakness. Right now, the world's perception of the United States is weakness. I'm not saying the United States is weak. I'm saying the perception of the world of the United States is weakness. They're projecting weakness at the moment. And I'm not making that up. That's not like, if you listen to other countries' news and hear what they're saying about us, the whole world is waiting to see, how is America going to respond? How is the superpower of the world going to respond to this? They did not see an overwhelming um, show of strength on the, on the part of the United States. We're projecting weakness. The re- one of the reasons that happened is the withdrawal from Afghanistan sent a massive message to the world because, frankly, that, that withdrawal was seriously botched. Yeah, I don't know who thinks that went well. Um, that was seriously a botched, um, a botched thing. Now, um, I want to be an equal opportunity offender here. So, um, in my opinion, Trump did some very good things like brokering the... Um, treaties between Israel and uh, the UAE and Bahrain. But also, when, it, when the United States withdrew from Syria, it also created a massive vacuum, and that vacuum was instantly filled by Russia. That when the United States pulled out of Syria, instantly that vacuum was filled by Russia. Here's my point. You have Russia and Iranian proxies in Syria, just to the north of Israel, for the first time ever. For the first time ever, you have Iran, Russia, right on the border of Israel, sitting right there. The invading armies are almost in perfect position to what Ezekiel 38 is talking about. The Western powers are all projecting weakness, and the protesting countries that are aligned with Israel are just, as of the last few years, aligning with Israel for the first time ever. Okay? There is, this is what I want to say. There isn't much more that does need to happen in order for this war to happen. I don't know when it will happen. I, don't, I hope it doesn't happen for a while. It's, it's in the Bible, so it's going to happen. I hope it's decades before this war happens. Um, but it is going to happen. But as far as I can see, all the pieces are in place. The alliances are there where it could happen any day. <clears throat> Ezekiel thirty-eight fourteen. Therefore, son of man prophesy and say to Gog, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, in that day when my people are living in safety, you will take notice of it. You will come from your place in the far north, you and your many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land in the days to come. Gog, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me and when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. You can go on and read in Ezekiel 38 that these nations do indeed attack Israel. 
the protesting nations protest, but God ends up intervening and delivers Israel from these enemies. You can go read that for yourself in the rest of Ezekiel 38. But I want to make the point, as of the, the most recent developments recently, are these alliances that are happening with these nations, and it is exactly, exactly what Ezekiel prophesied uh, thousands of years ago, and it's happening in our lifetime. It's pretty amazing. This war will happen. There's no question of that because it's in the Bible. But here's the question I want to ask. Will this war happen before or after the rapture of the church? And I'm going to tell you because I know it all. No. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to give you a date for the rapture. You ready? <laughs> Here's the deal. This war, talking about in Ezekiel 38, this is not the great tribulation. Okay, so a lot of Christians debate on when the rapture will happen before the tribulation, during, or after. We're not talking about the great tribulation. We're talking about a, a war that precedes, you know, this war will bring about where the world will look for someone who can bring peace to the world, which will usher in the Antichrist, of course, and then the great tribulation. This war um, does not have to happen before the, the rapture. Um, there's not a clear consensus. There's not a clear consensus of, like, will we see this, those of us who we raptured and taken up to the Lord, there's not a clear consensus that will we see this war, will we live through this war, will Jesus take us before this war? There's not a clear consensus. Um, the battle lines have been drawn, and we don't, we don't really know when this will happen. I say all this to say we need to have situational awareness. And when we see um, Russia aggression like we're seeing now, it really looks a lot like Ezekiel 38 is about to happen. Jesus said, Luke 21, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the carousing uh, drunkenness and anxieties of life and that they will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I'll just conclude with this question for you. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for the rapture? Are you watching? Are you praying? Listen, I'm, gonna, I'm planning my life to live. I'm planning to lead this church for decades. I'm planning to build a building. I'm planning to watch my kids grow up, get married, and have babies. I'm planning on all that. But I also want to live every single day waiting and watching and being prepared for the return of Jesus. I, only, I need to ask you a question. Are you living that way? Are you living in such a way where Jesus could come and take us today? Are you living in that way? We need to be this way, church. And so this is just a message to hit refresh <laughs> a little bit. Let's get our eyes focused on Jesus. This world has been a little crazy lately. We need to focus on Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. I'm going to pray, and then we'll close. Father, we love you. We thank you that um, you are the Prince of Peace. You are the Prince of Peace, Lord. And God, we do ask for this conflict that we're seeing in Eastern Europe to subside and there to be peace and that revival could come, Lord. But Lord, regardless of what happens in this world and where we're at on timelines, Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be uh, 
things. We want to have situational awareness, Lord. I just pray for every person here that we would just take inventory of where we're at, Lord. And if there's things we need to repent of, we repent of those things. If there's things we have to give up, we give up those things. But that we would be waiting and watching and looking, Lord, to you to return. So, Father, we just, um, we ask this. Help us, God, have an anointing to have peace, not to have anxiety. It's to go through these things with peace, with you, with the Prince of Peace. You're the only one that can give it. You're the only one that can give peace. And so we just welcome you, Father, to do that in our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Come on. Um, I'm going to have the prayer uh, ministry team. Why don't you come forward? Um, and I just want to say this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never committed your life to Christ, I talked about a rapture. Those who are going to be caught up and go to heaven forever to be with the Lord. If you want to get in on that group, you have to give your life to Christ. You have to surrender to his lordship. If that's you and you're here today and you know that you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're here and for whatever reason you've gone astray, you're living your own way, and you need to repent and come back to God, I want to just encourage you, come up to these prayer counselors. Why don't everyone stand to your feet right now? Come up to this ministry team and have them pray for you and just tell them, hey, I'm coming home. Hey, I need to repent. Hey, I've never given my life to Jesus. Can you, help, can you lead me in, in that? And they will be honored. We would be honored to pray with you and to um, partner with you in that way.